Hey, my name's Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. But before we go any further, I've got a question I want to ask you. What are you holding on to? The reason I ask is because it's typical for us at normal times to say things like, well, what's most important to me is my family or my friends or my relationships. But at a time like this, like the crisis that we're in the middle of, the things that we hold on to, the things that we're afraid to lose, come into 1080p high definition focus. So think about that question, what you're holding on to, and I'll come back to it a little bit later. In the meantime, let me welcome you to Easter with Beyond. If you're tuning in on Facebook or YouTube, or you don't even know how you got here, but you just somehow got lost in the scroll, we wanna say a massive welcome to you. Easter's actually my favorite time of the year, because on this day all across the world, followers of Jesus who don't speak the same language, don't have the same cultural background, and don't even have the same expression of church, all get gathered together and unite around one big event. And that event is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, before you click out, because you just think that's some kind of weird superstitious mumbo jumbo, let me explain because maybe one of the pushbacks you have about or against the resurrection of Jesus is you think that Christians only believe the resurrection because the Bible says so. I want to let you know, it's so much better than that. See, Christians believe in the resurrection because Matthew, who is a despised tax collector, gave up his life to begin to follow Jesus. And he wrote a biography on Jesus's life that has survived antiquity. Because Mark, who is best friends, really close friends with Peter, who went on to lead the Jesus movement, because Mark recorded and dictated in Peter's own words, his encounters with Jesus. Because Luke, who is a medical doctor, who moonlighted as a historian, interviewed people and asked them about the events and put together an account that we can read. Because Peter, Peter who denied Jesus three times in his hour of greatest need, who went on to lead the Jesus movement after Jesus had resurrected, wrote about these events. We also believe because James, and I've just got to stop on James, because what would your brother have to do to convince you he was God? See, that's exactly what James, uh, Jesus had to do for James. Because James was Jesus's brother. And James didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be throughout his life. Yet his resurrection proved to James and showed to James and demonstrated to James that he was God. And James wrote about this encounter. And we also believe because Paul, who is a type A religious leader, hell bent on destroying the church, who went from town to town seeking to eradicate Christians, had an encounter with Jesus and it radically transformed his life. And he began starting churches and planting churches all around the Mediterranean rim. We believe because Paul documented his encounter and Paul wrote letters to the churches that he started. And we believe because John, who is Jesus's best friend, who saw his closest friends brutally murdered at the hands of the Roman Empire and himself was exiled to an island on Patmos. When John was an old man, he wrote down the experiences that he'd had with Jesus on parchment. And as John is carefully writing these events down, he records a statement that Jesus made. And it's a statement that Jesus made when he was gathered with his closest followers preparing for this meal. They'd had a meal that was preparing them for this Jewish celebration called Passover. And Jesus had been saying and saying a whole bunch of things that the disciples didn't really understand, but they'd been nodding their head anyway in agreement because it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to say things that people just didn't understand. But as the conversation's wrapping up, Jesus makes this statement that John records. And Jesus says, 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And isn't that so true? There's, there's so much trouble for us in the world right now and you're probably experiencing the trouble in the world. Maybe for some of you, you have to try and figure out how to care for your elderly, vulnerable parents without kind of being near them or touching them or putting them at risk. Maybe for some of you, the trouble is that you have to try to, to figure out how to be the teacher for your children at home now and, and how that dynamic plays out. Maybe for some of you, you're just having trouble because you were just getting to know that guy or that girl and all of a sudden now, you can't go anywhere near them and you might say, Jesus, I get all the trouble that you're experiencing. But then Jesus says this, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And Jesus' closest followers would have been like, Jesus, what do you mean you've overcome the world? Do you mean you're overcoming the world? Because right now you haven't overcome anything. Rome is still in control. The Jewish nation is still oppressed. We are not in a position of power yet. And maybe for some of you, you're sitting there and you're curious about faith, but you're not really sure. And maybe you think, I don't know if I can believe that because I don't know if Jesus can overcome this situation. And maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're finding it difficult to believe that Jesus could overcome this situation because right now you're starting to doubt and you're saying, Jesus, I'm not sure you can overcome because I don't see you overcoming in the midst of this situation. So in the next few moments that you're here with me, I want to share with you what would have made this statement click for John. What would have all of a sudden made John realize that Jesus really could overcome, that Jesus could be trusted to overcome. Because what Jesus breathed into John's life is what he could breathe into your life as well, which is something we all desperately need at the moment. Hope. So if right now maybe you're scrolling on Instagram, you've got some other tabs open, can I challenge you, close them down. Because the events that led to hope being breathed back into John's life, and but the potential for hope to be breathed into your life are unbelievable. So, as Jesus was having this conversation and as Jesus made this statement, one of his followers, Judas, would have left the room. And no one would have thought much of this at the time. They would have thought that Judas was just doing something or a task that Jesus had given him. But what they didn't realize was that Judas had gone to the Jewish leaders to betray Jesus. And after Jesus had spent this meal with his followers, it would have been maybe just before midnight. And they would have walked to this garden that Jesus wanted to walk to, a garden called Gethsemane, where he was going to pray. And he singled out three of his followers, Peter, James, and John. And he said, would you guys pray with me? I'm, I'm really distressed. Something's not right. I, I need you to stay awake and I need you to pray with me. And John struggles as much as he wants to stay awake, he dozes off. In fact, he dozes off a number of times and Jesus wakes him up a couple of times and the final time, Jesus doesn't wake John up. John's startled as he sees Judas walking in with the Jewish leaders. He sees Peter draw a sword and try to defend Jesus and ends up cutting off the ear of someone's servant and, and Jesus telling Peter, put your sword down. And John sees Jesus marched off by these Jewish leaders. And he's taken taken early in the morning to the high priest Caiaphas's house. Now, Caiaphas was in a little bit of a predicament, a little bit of a pickle, because by Jewish law, the the Jewish nation was still under occupation by the Romans. So it wasn't possible for the Jews to execute someone. So after some discussion, still early in the morning, 
they rolled up to the Roman governor's house, Pontius Pilate. And here the Jewish high priest Caiaphas and the Jewish leaders presented him to Jesus. And they said, this man has made some claims that make him worthy of death. And Pilate begins a conversation with Jesus. And he tries to understand the situation. And Pilate says, well, this man's done nothing wrong. This man hasn't done anything that I can see that would be worthy of his death. And then he makes a statement as the crowd begins to build because there was a tradition that at that point of the year, Rome would release a prisoner that the Jews wanted released. And he said, well, would you like me to release Jesus or would you like me to release the murderer Barabbas? And everyone shouted for Barabbas to be released. And so Pontius Pilate takes Jesus and has him whipped with a lead-tipped whip that would have been designed to hook into the skin and rip chunks of skin out. And then some of the Roman soldiers made a crown of thorns and rammed it down on Jesus's head. And as Jesus is bloodied and brutalized from this beating, barely able to walk, Pontius Pilate brings him before the crowd that was building in front of the Jewish leaders and says, is this enough? And the crowd begins to scream, crucify him, crucify him. And right at the front of the crowd, there's those Jewish leaders and and Pilate kind of shakes. He's like, I don't know what to do. There's nothing in the law that says I can execute him. And this is where the political play comes in because the Jewish leaders lean in and they say, Pilate, you know what would happen if a riot was incited, don't you? You know who would hear about that, don't you? Rome. And you know what, hap- what would happen if Rome heard about that? They would ask, who's the governor that let it happen? And it would be you, Pontius. See, if you don't let us have Jesus, if you don't let us murder Jesus, then your life will be on the line. And so Pilate washed his hands of the situation and handed an innocent man over the Jewish leaders to be executed. And Jesus takes his cross and barely able to walk, stumbles to a hill just outside of Jerusalem Jerusalem, called the Skull Hill or Golgotha. And at that point, the cross would have been laid on the ground and nails would have been driven through Jesus's wrists. His feet would have been laid over the top of each other and a nail would have been driven through them. And then he would have been hoisted up into a pre-made hole and he would have been left to hang and die with a criminal either side of him. And as this is all unfolding, sitting at the foot of the cross, watching it all happen, is Jesus's best friend, John. And in this moment, what happens when someone is crucified is death by suffocation. Because you see, in order for someone to breathe when they're on the cross, what they have to do is they have to push up on the nail that's driven through their feet, gasp air and then slump back down. And Jesus pushes up for air so that he can speak and slumps back down and he looks his mother in the eye. And she says, mother, this is your Son, looking at John. Then he looks at John and he says, this is your mother. And in that moment, 
And Jesus entrusts to his best friend, his own mother. And he says, take care of her when I'm not here. And then he breathes his final breath just moments later. And he says three words. It is finished. And sitting at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother in his arms, tears streaming down his cheeks, is John. Watching his whole world crumble. Because in that moment, hope is gone for John. In that moment, he's chosen to unfollow Jesus. In that moment, he doesn't know if it's possible for Jesus to overcome at all. Because it certainly doesn't look like he will and it certainly doesn't look like he has. Now, I'm not sure what John did that afternoon because we're not told what John did. I imagine maybe he went home and stared at a blank wall or just sat in shock outside looking at nothing in particular. We know that he definitely didn't bury Jesus because Joseph of Arimathea did that. But the story doesn't end there. And the reason we know the story doesn't end there is because we're still talking about John 2,000 years later. Because if the story ended there, Jesus would have just been another person that was murdered at the hands of the Roman Empire, a number lost to history. But we're still talking about this story. And the reason we're still talking about this story is because of what happened on Sunday morning. In the early hours of Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and some of her friends went to the tomb to finish the embalming process that they'd so quickly tried to do on the Friday when Jesus had been buried. But when they got to the tomb, they discovered it was empty. And their first instinct wasn't to think he's resurrected. There was no one waiting at the tomb, counting back from 10, 9, 8. No one was thinking that because the Jewish people didn't have this idea of that Jesus was going to rise in time. They thought that when everything happened at the end of time, then Jesus would come back. See, the reason that no one thought that Jesus had resurrected is because nobody expected no body. And Mary Magdalene and her friends, they rush home to tell the disciples that, hey, something's happened. We don't know what, like someone's stolen the body. And Peter and John race towards the tomb. And in John's account, John writes that the other disciple referring to himself outran Peter and got to the tomb first. And I love that because I can just imagine John as an old man on the island of Patmos thinking to himself, everyone's going to know I'm faster than you, Peter. And John got to the tomb, but he was too afraid to go inside. But Peter, he gets there later and he charges in. He stops dead. Because what he sees confuses him even more. Because what he sees is grave clothes on the tomb. But if someone had stolen the body, they they would have taken the grave clothes with them. It's so odd that there are grave clothes there. And Peter and John leave confused. And it's not until later that afternoon that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. That Mary Magdalene is the first person to see Jesus resurrected. Then later that night, Jesus appeared to his closest followers. Except for one, Thomas. And when Thomas got back, Jesus had left and all the other disciples were telling Thomas, Thomas, you're not going to believe who we've seen. We've seen Jesus. We've had a conversation with Jesus. And Thomas didn't believe him. And I can just imagine them making fun of like, come on, Thomas, you don't want to be known as a doubter, do you? And eventually a week later, Jesus appeared to Thomas and Jesus invited him. He said, Thomas, 
Put your hands where the nails went through my hands. Put your, put your hand where the spear pierced my side. And Thomas believed. And John saw it all. John witnessed all of this. He witnessed his friends go from some of the most scared, timid men he had ever seen to be some of the most courageous people. That when their lives were threatened with death, they would refuse to yield and would be killed for their belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Not because the Bible told them, but because they saw it with their own eyes. And John, as he's recording these events, he actually tells us why he records them. He says, I've written these things so that you may believe, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And John is, what he's effectively saying is, I didn't randomly pick these encounters. I didn't randomly pick these interactions. The reason that I picked these events to include, the reason that I picked these interactions and carefully chose these conversations to, so that you could read is so that you could believe and you could have hope. What John is saying, I've chosen to record these things so that you would see that Easter brings hope because Easter is about the hope that Jesus brought. Now, let me return to that really annoying question I asked you right at the start. What are you holding onto at the moment? You see, the things we hold onto can very quickly become our identity and we become afraid to lose them and we're not sure what to do if we lose them. Easter invites us not to hold onto something, but to hold onto someone. The reality of life right now is that everything has changed for all of us. And I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see into the future. I can't tell you that everything's going to be okay. I can't tell you not to be afraid. But what we can do and what I can do is I can point to Matthew, Mark, Luke, Peter, James, Paul, and John. I can share their story with you of what they did when they were afraid and how they hung on to not something, but someone. So my challenge for you this Easter is to hang on to Jesus, to begin for the first time to hold on to Jesus. Maybe to begin to hold on again to Jesus if you've walked away, or maybe to just hold on a little bit tighter to Jesus. Now, when I say hold on to Jesus, I don't mean hold on to the version of Jesus that you've seen portrayed in the media. I don't mean hold on to the version of Jesus that, that you resisted when you went to church or that you had friends who were Christians that you kind of resisted. I don't mean hold on to the version of Sunday school Jesus that made you get disinterested and walk away from faith. I want you to hold on to Jesus, the real Jesus, when John wrote the words, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Because what John meant and what John would have understood when, he, when it finally clicked for him is what Jesus meant when he said that I have overcome the world. That when I was whipped, when I was beaten, when my body was broken, when I was laid in a tomb and the stone was rolled across and darkness flooded the earth. When the greatest enemy of life the thing that we're all most afraid of in this world that no one can stop 
death. When death took me. When the thing that no one has ever overcame took me. I overcame it. And in overcoming death, I breathed life. And I breathed light. And I breathed hope into the situation. And that's the Jesus that I want you to hold on to this Easter. Or begin to hold on to again. Or begin to hold on to tighter. Because when you hold on to the real Jesus, what you hold on to is someone that has the potential not just to overcome the current situations that you're in the middle of, but someone who can overcome the greatest enemy that life will ever throw at you, death. And that is worth holding on to. And if maybe for the first time as you're watching this, you want to engage with this hope, I'd love to to pray. I'd love to pray for everyone watching this, but I'd love to pray especially for you. And as we pray, there's going to be a part where I'll invite you to pray, to invite Jesus into your life, to begin that relationship with Jesus. So would you invite me, uh, would you join me? And I invite you to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the hope that you brought into the world. Lord, for those of us who have maybe walked away or for those of us who have maybe let go or held on to something else during this time, I pray that we would hold on to you now more than ever. And for the people who are watching this for the very first time, for the people who maybe for the very first time in their life want to begin to have a relationship with you, I'd invite you to pray this with me. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Jesus, I want to place my hope in you. Jesus, I want to say no to my way of living and yes to your way of living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd love to invite you, if you want to connect further with us, if you decide to place your hope in Jesus today, then you can connect with us on our Facebook page, on our Instagram page, or you can go to www.beyondchurch.com.au, click on the connect card, and we would love to hear your story.